This morning we're going to be in Colossians chapter 4. Maybe not a passage that's that's hit on too much, but uh, it's certainly there and it's it's very important. Uh, We're going to be specifically looking at verses 2 through 6. So Colossians chapter 4 verses uh, 2 through 6. And the focus of the passage really is on answering every man. And uh, for our fantastic video team, that would be the title of the message, Answering Every Man. God is going to give us some, some pragmatic things here, some practical things that we can use uh, in this Christian life, and especially in this uh, that we can practice to be effective ministers of the gospel. That is the work, right? Getting the gospel out. But before we get to the passage, uh, just want to kind of set the stage. I mean, Colossians is a is a smaller book. There's just just four chapters of content there. Uh, but I want to kind of set the stage. Uh, what Paul is talking about uh, to this beloved church at Colossae. He uses this letter mostly to to instruct and to encourage these uh, these believers in this precious church. In in uh, chapter one, verse nine, he he talks about he pray, how he prayed for them. He talks about in the same chapter the the pre- preeminence of Christ, Christ being Lord and King over all. He talks about in chapter two how they should walk in Christ. Uh, in the same chapter, uh, chapter two, how they should reject the commandments and doctrines of men. In chapter 3, how, how they should put the old man off and put the new man on, that new man that's in Christ Jesus. Then he ends chapter 3 with how God orders the family and how he orders the workplace. How we should serve our employers, if we're believers, serve our employers uh, just the same way that we would serve the Lord. And then in Colossians chapter 4, 1, he takes the other side, talking about those employers and how they should uh, treat their employees right, compensating them properly, because they also have to report to the Lord. So all of these things that, that he comes into, and then we get into our passage, starting in verse number 2. And if you would, please stand with me. Let's read these verses together. And we'll honor our God as we do so. Colossians chapter 4 and verse number 2. God says, Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. With all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. Focusing on answering every man, let us pray. Father, it's just wonderful to be in your house this morning. 
to be amongst your people and be amongst visitors, uh, to have a time that we're focused on you, focused on your word. And we're, we're looking for you today to show up and be in our midst. And I need you very desperately as I try to present your word. And I pray, Lord, that you'd use it in a special way, that you would teach, that you would encourage, that you would challenge, that you would help us this morning, God. For we need it so very much in Christ's name. Amen. All right, if you'd like to be seated, please feel free to do so. So what is God talking about here? Essentially, he's outlining a a practical approach to reaching out with the gospel. There are some simple things here, some things that we can all understand. These are actionable items, things that we can put into practice into our lives as believers to be a good servant, to be a, a help, be a minister to others. I found it interesting as I was meditating and studying on this that this is the last major instruction that we have here in the book of Colossians. After that, there's, there's some greetings and different things that he talks about. But it's the last major instruction that we have here in the book of Colossians. And so God waited until the end here, chapter 4, to get to this very, very important uh, set of teaching. Why did he do that? Well, perhaps it's the most important instruction he has in this book. Surely if, the, if these beloved folks at this church in, in Colossae uh, were to follow everything that he had said up until this point, then they would be ready to receive this instruction, right? Remember what I was talking about before as, as he sets it up, that they were to walk in the Lord, walk in Christ, have a right life, have, a right, have right uh, uh, relationships inside, inside their church with each other, have right relationships inside of their families, have right relationships in the workplace. Let me, let me ask this question. If, if they didn't have these things right in their life, do you think that they would then be effective as they went out to tell somebody else about Christ? It would probably be very difficult to say the least. So God is a God of order and he lays out all these things previous in the book so that he can bring us to this point in Colossians chapter 4 to help us to do the work that he has called us to do. We must be right with God, and we must be right with each other. We must be right in our families. We must be right with those that we work with out in the world. Now, does that mean that you should just be a doormat and let people walk all over you and, 
in every case? No, I'm not saying that. Being right with others really is, is about being right with God. We don't necessarily just bend to whatever they want. They may lead us in the wrong direction. We need to be right with God, doing things the right way. And that's how we are to be right with others. It can be very difficult at times, especially in the workplace, because you're dealing with unbelievers. You're dealing with people that don't believe this book like you and I believe it. But God still requires us to be right, do the best job that we can when we're out there with those folks. But as we come into our passage here, it's not just being right with God and having right relationships with others. He gives us several things here. And beginning in verse 2, he tells us very simply to pray. Amen? And my heart and mind is very recently has been on prayer and how essential it is to be in anything for God. If we're going to be effective in getting this gospel across to other people, we must pray. But how should we pray? First thing here, he says, the first part of the verse in verse number two, he says, continue in prayer. That is an imperative in the Greek. What does that mean? It's a command. You must do this. It's not optional. Thayers defines that word continue this way. He says, to adhere to one, be as adherent, to be devoted or constant to one. Another definition, to continue all the time in a place. Another definition, to persevere and not to faint. You know what the word there in the Greek means? It means to continue. I understand that's exactly what the verse says. It says continue. Praise God that he means what he says, right? It's not hard to follow. Well, it may be very difficult to follow, but it's simple to understand. Just means that we need to pray and that we need to keep praying. Excuse me. We have set times that we've been trying to follow, Tuesday nights and Thursday nights and Saturday mornings, and various of us will meet at those various times, and we have one purpose in that, to get the gospel out, right, Brother Daniel? That's our main goal that we're doing. So I want to ask the question, how much time do we spend praying during the week about these times that we're going to meet and go out. How much time do you spend praying for these things in your own heart, in your own home, in your own family? How much time do we spend together, let's say right before we do go out?
We need to pray. One of the things that I really believe about it is this time of prayer, especially when we're meeting together to pray for these things. God is going to do something in that. He's going to draw us closer together. I think another thing that he'll do is he'll, he'll help to put us in the right frame of mind. I run a pretty, pretty busy schedule myself. And so if I'm just hurrying to finish up the last thing right before I come up here to, to go out and witness to folks, you know, you've got to have a little time there where you can get focused. You can seek out the Lord and kind of put away the other thing that you were dealing with and get ready. This is so serious when we go and we tell others about the Lord. It just helps to kind of put us in the right frame of mind to start sensing the Lord and looking for the Lord's direction in what we're about to do. <clears throat> Not just merely putting us in the right frame of mind, but, but preparing us for the, the wickedness, the, the deranged thinking, the perversion that we're going to get into out there as we try to witness to folks. You ever been caught off guard, my brother, when you're talking to somebody and they, they pull some thing out of left field? You know, what are you talking about? Prayer can help us to kind of be prepared for those things. Prayer is key. We need to do it early, late, and often. Amen? I think it's really especially important prior to heading out on the mission to witness to folks. Next part of the verse there in verse number 2, it says, Watch in the same with thanksgiving. This one is perhaps slightly more difficult to, to get a hold of. Uh, that word watch is used in, in multiple places uh, and in connection with prayer. And it's, I, I don't know about you, but it's not immediately apparent to me all the time what or at least in the past, what that would mean. Uh, Strong's defines it as to keep awake. Watching, just watching. Keep awake, that is watch, or, or be vigilant, or watchful. Go back to the book of Matthew for just a moment. There's a very vivid example in the book of Matthew, chapter number 26. Matthew, chapter number 26. This is Jesus in the garden, and he's praying. Uh, but just before that, we'll pick it up in verse number 38. Keep your place there in Colossians so that we can come back. Matthew 26, verse number 38 says, Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. He's speaking to his disciples. He's about to go to the cross. And he wants to spend this time in prayer before such a, such a monumental event is going to take place. And he wants his disciples there with him. Verse number 39, And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. He held them up there and he said, watch with me. 
And he went a little farther and prayed. And he comes back to his disciples in verse 40. And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep. And saith unto Peter, what? Could you not watch with me one hour? Isn't it painfully obvious? He wanted them to be awake. He came back and they were asleep. How can you pray if you're asleep? That's simple, right? He puts them together in verse number 41 for us. He says, watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. First thing in this idea of watching and prayer is to be awake. Anybody trying to play, uh, pray for a solid hour? I think if you have, you're going to find it kind of difficult. You might even find it somewhat tiring. Why? Because it's work. You're meeting with God. You're talking to God. You're communicating with God. You're... You're bearing your heart out to God in prayer. And you do it for any length of time, it's going to get tiring. It takes some vigilance. That word watching can also mean vigilance. I'm going to do it. Determining in your own self. I'm going to pray. I'm going to be with my God. Back in our passage in Colossians, it says in verse 2, watch in the same or watch in prayer with thanksgiving. If you had to think back in your life and if you were to gather up all the thoughts and all the words that you had that were in complaint versus all the thoughts and all the words that were in thanksgiving? Which one would, which one would be more? By my nature, I'm a complainer. I focus on the negative. Why can't it be better? Why has it got to be so bad? When really, I have an amazing life. I got an amazing God and an amazing church and an amazing family. And God has blessed me tremendously. I have eternal life. Amen? We have something we can thank Him for? We can thank Him for that. We can thank Him for giving us the Holy Spirit as the saved person, the Holy Spirit with me always and forever. We can thank Him on the physical side for life, air to breathe, water and food on your table, a place to stay, a church to be a part of, spouse, children, grandchildren, parents, being a citizen of this great country. There's so much to thank Him for, even if you're out there online and you're not a citizen of this country. There's so much to thank Him for. 
So pray. Stay awake while you're praying. Thank Him in prayer. Those are somewhat generic, right? Those things that He's admonishing us to do. Praying doesn't say exactly what to pray about. does say have thanksgiving. But then when we come into verse 3, we get more specific. God using Paul to write to the church at Colossae. And he makes this very specific request for himself and his team, Paul and his missionary team. He's making a request here. He says in verse number 3, With all praying also for us. Now, if it stopped there, it would still be kind of generic, right? Well, God bless Brother Paul. Dear Lord, help him. But he goes on and he says that God would open unto us a door of utterance. We'll break it right there for just a moment. The main point here that we're getting into is praying for those that are going to go out with the gospel. Now, every, pretty much every believer, young, old, wherever you might be in life, even if you can't get out there and actually talk with people about the gospel, you can surely pray. And you can pray for those that are going to be doing it. Paul was looking for a door of utterance. Really, when we study and bear this out, what he's talking about is he is looking for opportunities to share the gospel. That's what this is about. Now, by the time he wrote this letter to this church... He had already seen God open many doors. I want you to go to Acts chapter number 14. He had seen God open many doors in just this way. Acts chapter number 14, verse number 27. Keep your place there in Colossians. Acts 14, 27. It says, And when they were come and had gathered the church together... They rehearsed all that God had done with them. I'm going to stop right there for just a moment. This is Paul and his team. He was out preaching the gospel. He was on a missionary journey. I believe this is the first one. He comes back here and he's reporting back to his church. Y'all like it when Brother Bruce comes home and he makes a report, tells you what happened when he was off on the mission field? This is exactly, this is a Bible thing to do. Paul did it. Paul and his team coming back rehearsed all that God had done with them. He was te- they were telling the church about what happened out there as they were preaching the gospel. And he says at the tail end of that verse, and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. 
a door of utterance, an opportunity where people are listening. Some of you are so much better than I am in this thing. You're ready to jump out there and just talk to anyone about the gospel. And that's, that's a wonderful thing. But if you're one of those, have you, have you ever tried to force that conversation? Now, is that wrong to do? God says, preach the gospel to every creature. It's not wrong to do that. But wouldn't it be better if before you open your mouth to that person, God has already dealt with their heart? And now they're ready to hear it. They don't have the, the guard up like, who's this crazy religious person talking to me about this stuff that doesn't make any sense? If God had already dealt with them and prepared them for you to come and talk to them about the gospel. That's what he's saying, a, a, a door of utterance, a, an opportunity where God has already worked. And all you have to do is come in and give them the truth. And they're ready to receive it. And so, in that conversation, it just falls out naturally. Oh, yeah, I heard something about this person, Jesus. Who is he? What's the deal with it? I don't get it. But they're ready to listen. That's natural, right? No, that's not natural. That doesn't happen naturally. That's supernatural. God intervened in that person so that they're ready to listen. The natural man receiveth not the things of God, right? They're foolishness unto him. Neither can he understand. It takes a work of God. And here in our passage in Colossians chapter 4, he desires... this church to pray for him, that he'll get those opportunities. He was determined he was going to go out and he was going to preach it, but he wanted them to pray that it would be effective. I might ask the question of myself, do I pray for my own opportunities to give the gospel? And really mean it. God, give me somebody to talk to that's going to listen. It's the highest priority work that He's given us to do. It's a front and center thing to go out and preach the gospel. If we got too much going on, and it isn't front and center for us, we've got to repent, reprioritize, and restart. Amen? 
One thing that you can do to help you in that, if you're in that situation, is ask people to pray for you to have those opportunities, just like he did. So the first part there, he prayed that there would be a door of utterance. Second part there. We'll just back up. Verse number 3. With all praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. You might be thinking, what's the mystery of Christ? Mystery of Christ is mystery of the gospel. Go back to the book of Ephesians, chapter number 6. Ephesians, chapter number 6, he gets through talking about the armor and everything that he's given us to, to engage in this, in this battle, this war that we have. And then in verse number 18, Paul again hears the writer and he says, Ephesians 6, 18, praying all, always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints and for me that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the what? The mystery of the gospel. He goes on, for which I am an ambassador in bonds that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. These mysteries that, he are t- that he's talking about, they have been revealed to us in this book. They are no longer mysteries. We know the plain truth of Christ in the gospel. If you go back to Ephesians 3, 3 through 6, we won't read it. But if you want to read it yourself, it says that he revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit of God. And thus we have it today. And so he made the prayer request to the church at Colossians and the church at Ephesus. Do you think it was important to Paul? This, uh, I love the, the concept in our school, our college, that we learned about these repeated phrases or these repeated ideas uh, in the Word. If God is repeating it, we need to pay attention because it's important if He's going to say it over and over again. Paul was seeking opportunities to give the gospel, but he also wanted to be ready to give the gospel. To be able to explain it in a way that would would resonate with the audience, that they would get it, that they would understand it. You know, that ability to explain the gospel to whoever it might be, or maybe a group of people, that can differ greatly. 
Now, I want to make sure I don't mince words here. The gospel is plain and true and definite, immutable. It does not change. I'm not saying you change the message. That's wrong. What I am saying is that different people have different issues, different questions, different problems, different hang-ups that they have. And if you can't help them to get past those issues, they're not ready to hear the plain truth of the gospel. And so what does Paul do? He asked for prayer. That God would help him with the right words in every situation. Now, if you're new to soul winning, I just... Don't let this alarm you. Don't let it scare you. Don't let it deter you from witnessing. Don't let it deter you from giving out the gospel. The, if, if you have zero understanding on, on different hang-ups and different problems and dealing with those to, to get to somebody, just focus on preaching it first. This is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It's for the remission of sins. And everybody that's saved can give that out. And then we can start learning and we can be praying that God can help us on those other things to really be effective with the gospel. What are some typical hang-ups that people might have that we might encounter out there? In our day, in our day there are people that don't think they're sinners. I don't do wrong. Or maybe, eh, I might have done a few things, made a few mistakes in the past, but I'm better than most people out there. For that person, what do you need to do? You take them back to the law. Take them back to the Ten Commandments. Idolatry, taking the Lord's name in vain. Uh, adultery, stealing, all these things, bearing false witness until they can come, oh, yeah, I guess I did lie one point back there. I guess I, I guess I didn't get put God first. That helps them to see that they're a sinner. And then you can go from there to give them the gospel. What are some other, what's another common one? People want to equate good works, right? They think, well, if I just do good enough, then, you know, the good part of my life outweigh the bad, and God will, God will be okay with that. Ephesians 2.9 specifically says that salvation is not of works. And so you can give them that scripture. Let's, um, we've been tracking our brother Paul here. Let's go back and track him in Acts chapter 17. Uh, one way, a specific way that he communicated to get 
the gospel across to a particular group of people. Uh, Acts chapter 17, verse number 22 uh, says, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, You men of Athens, Mars Hill is in Athens. That's in modern-day Greece. Okay? This was a specific group of people. I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious, verse number 23. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. What did he do? He took something that was there in their culture. They had, they were... Uh, they had all these gods that they worshipped, and they wanted to make sure they covered every god. So they had an unknown god. They, they set that one up just to make sure if they missed one, it was covered. Our god is the very god of heaven, Paul's god. And he said, this one that you don't know about, that you're missing, yeah, he's the one. He's the real one, and all these other ones are junk. Go down to verse number 30, Acts chapter 17, verse number 30. says this, And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. You don't have a pass anymore on this unknown God. I just declared him to you. And you need to repent. Verse number 31, because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, Christ, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. Is this the gospel, right? He's given them the gospel right here. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, and others said, We will hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from among them. Howbeit certain men clave unto him, and what? What did they do? They believed. Now, are you going to go out there to somebody and say, let me tell you about this unknown God? Probably not. That wouldn't make a lot of sense for most of our encounters here, would it? They're going to be like, what are you talking about? But these people, it made sense to them. They had a setup for that. They knew that. And so he was able to find that door of utterance for those people. Would he have found that if folks weren't praying for him? I don't know. I think it's evidence that people were praying for him. So we need to pray for those missionaries, those pastors, those that are going to be giving the gospel to others, that they might get those opportunities where people are listening and that they might meet those people with the right words. Now, every one of us is a missionary by the strictest definition. 
so we can all be looking for the... I mean, if, if you're saved, you're a missionary, and you can be looking for people to pray for you to get these opportunities and to be ready to meet them. Verse number five. Let's let's uh, let's move on. Colossians chapter four and verse number five. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without. What's he talking about? He's talking about those lost people, them that are without. Redeeming the time. How can we walk in wisdom toward lost people? How can we know how we should answer every man? Well, one surefire way is to not be ignorant about them. To not know anything about the people you're trying to reach. Brother Daniel, if you're looking at the map and you're, you're looking around and you're saying, I want to go to this area, north side. You know something about those people in north side, don't you? You kind of know what happens in daily life there. And so you have an advantage already. You have some wisdom about those people. And so you can approach the gospel in a certain way that, brother, I, I'm going to struggle with. It doesn't mean I'm exempt from it. I need to learn. Some simple questions. We might say, where are they from, this, these people that we're trying to reach? What's their religion? Where do they work? Uh, are they, do they generally... Uh, uh, have families and that's their thing or, or does everybody do their own thing? Uh, some questions and trying to answer some of those questions trying to get have some understanding about these people that you're trying to reach so that when you go out there and you start telling them you've got something you can tell them that's going to make sense that's going to lead to the gospel. That's what God's saying here. We need some, some wisdom in dealing with lost people. Uh, Miss Tina mentioned to me recently about the potential of having a, a, I think she called it a debriefing, after our, we're done on Saturday mornings, where we just talk about, well, what kind of encounters did you have? Where did you get hung up? You know, what, what happened there? and trying to learn some more things to be better the next time. I'll give you a personal story here on this. I really believe this. We need to give them the gospel, yes. But if we can help them to get past some hang-up, so they're really listening to the gospel. That's way better. I was dealing with a, this precious lady. I was, I was living down in Temple, Texas. I'll conceal her identity. 
But at that time, she was a lifelong member of the false Catholic Church. She had a major hang-up around this concept of the priest, the priesthood. Of course, in the Catholic Church, the, the priest is a, is a man, and he's the one, you know, bless me, Father, for I've sinned. You've got to go to confession. You've got to confess to him. That's not the way it works nowadays. You go to God for that. So what did I do? Well, Christ was... He suffered, He died, He... he re... No, we needed to lay a little groundwork to help her out before we could get there. So I gave her some verses in, in the book of Hebrews about how now Christ is that high priest and you don't need the man anymore. Now, she didn't trust the Lord that night. But praise God, a, a little later on, she did. I believe with all my heart that was important for her to get past something that she was hung up on in order to get to Christ. So the bottom line is we need to know how to answer every man. 1 Peter 3.15 confirms it. He says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. We're going to need wisdom if we're going to be able to do this. And he says that, right? Walk in wisdom toward them that are without. Another way, other than just learning, asking questions or a debriefing or something like that, and there are many ways that we can gain more wisdom and insight uh, to getting the gospel out. But another way is to simply ask for it. Back to prayer. James chapter 1. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Give it to all men liberally. Ask God for it. To be wise and, and being able to answer folks. So what am I saying today? I'm saying that prayer is super important. We need to continue in it. We need to be vigilant in prayer. We need to be thankful in our prayers. And we need to be praying for opportunities and right words to be as effective as we can possibly be in reaching others with the gospel. And understand, you're not going to be super effective probably when you get started. And that's okay. You get out there and do it anyway. And you learn. And you, and you sit in in services. And, and you sit in on, on our college courses. And, and, and you ask others that have been doing it longer than you how... How do they deal with a certain situation? And you, you gain that wisdom. And in your own prayer life, you ask God to, get, to, to give you the wisdom, to, to give you right words. So that you can be effective. Let's stand together. Brother John, if you'll come. Just want to ask, what, what about you?
Maybe you're out in our audience today and this message didn't make much sense to you. If it didn't make any sense at all, maybe you're one of the ones that needs the gospel. Maybe there hasn't been that time in your life where you were ready to repent. You were ready to say, God, you're right, I'm wrong, I've sinned against you. And I need forgiveness. Please forgive me. And please save me. I'm trusting in the gospel, what Christ did for me. Go ahead. Page 113. If that's you, come. Get it settled right now. We've got men here. We've got women that can help you. You may still not understand it. And that's okay. Come, get your questions answered. Don't let, don't let Satan keep you where you're at. Feel embarrassed or whatever it might be. We're, we're only here for such a tiny time. And then we go into eternity and you're going to hell or you're going to heaven. And that's it. It's going to be one or the other. And eternity is a long, long time. And you get this life only to get it settled. This tiny bit of time that we have. Sing it, my brother. Sweet
appreciate the opportunity again. Y'all are my family. I pray that God would, would bless you as you continue on for Him. Let's allow these to keep praying, but we'll let Brother John come and, and close us out. Thank you. Let's sing that. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you.